Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is James, and we are reading Chapter 10 of the Blood Magic series, Self-Care. September 1st, 2007. Draco noted that his bathroom mirror was beginning to look more like a memo board than a mirror. He had finally gotten into a rhythm with his daily assignments and sometimes produced more than one affirmation. Beatrice said that he was ready for the next step. He looked balefully at his reflection, wreathed in hopeful post-its, and clutched at the hem of his sleeping shirt. Your mark does not define you, looked back at him, and he took a deep breath, finally taking his shirt off. Just spend time without your shirt on, she had suggested. You don't have to look at yourself, you don't have to engage with anyone. Just be in your skin. Learn to love and accept yourself as you are, Draco. You are beautiful, he had written after that appointment. Now it seemed to taunt him. You are worthy of love. Whirling his eyes, he realized he couldn't do this near a mirror. Sure, he thought, he could spend time without a shirt on, even though he felt stupid and pointless. But he sure as hell wasn't going to do it staring at himself. He walked into his sitting room and grabbed a copy of Hematology Today to review an article that caught his eye the day previous. Trying not to feel supremely self-conscious and vulnerable, alone though he was, he sat on his couch and tried to focus on the words in front of him. He lasted 15 minutes, 15 very unsettled minutes. His resolve broke when a familiar owl appeared at his window. Knowing he would be incapable of confronting even written words from his mother while half-dressed, he ran off to the bedroom to grab his shirt before letting the owl in and retrieving the note. Darling Draco, I was hoping you would reconsider your position and accompany me to visit your father. I dread the thought of visiting him alone in that place and could use your strength. For your mother, please, with love. He had finally gone for tea at the manor with his mother after weeks of avoiding her after the Rose Garden incident and she had spent the entire time begging Draco to come to Azkaban with her to visit Lucius. He flat out refused. Draco had only visited Lucius once since his incarceration and didn't intend to repeat the experience. Narcissa went every three months to maintain her good graces with the manor grounds and the house. Old magical houses could be finicky with their magic and wards, and since she was only a Malfoy by marriage and not blood, she did what she needed to do to appease the ancient house and its deep magical laws. Now he sat beneath a deluge of emotional blackmail. He scribbled a hasty response, noting the owl was waiting for him, and told her that work was too frantic to get away. Sorry, but if she wanted to have some tea, she could come to the cafeteria in St. Mungo's. He knew she would never accept the offer, which was precisely why he extended it to her. Beatrice had told him that lying to his mother was a perfectly acceptable coping skill when she didn't respect his needs or boundaries. He clung to that validation like a drowning man at sea. Feeling relieved as the owl took off out the window, he made a mental note to talk to Beatrice more about their relationship. The well was deep. Greg had been incredibly trepidatious about attending a group counseling session run by Luna Lovegood, but Draco had insisted that she came highly recommended by a reputable source. Neville thought the world of what Luna was doing, and Draco knew that she was the very embodiment of good through and through, no matter what nonsense she may have thought about Nargles. Draco had reached out to Luna, asking her for meeting schedules for Greg, and thus began a weekly correspondence that Draco hadn't anticipated or entirely wanted. It was as if they'd always been friends, though. After the initial inquiry, Luna never spoke about the meetings again. They were anonymous, after all. 
She instead asked him about his research and life, inviting him over for tea a fair few times, and was generally very pleasant. Each invite so far, Draco had declined until his therapist confronted him on intentionally isolating himself. That's what led him to walking up Luna's garden path to her front door one sunny Sunday afternoon, his internal bogart performing a relentless circuit and his insides writhing like fire snakes. Why was he doing this to himself? It was one thing to have a friendly correspondence. It was another to go to someone's house, someone who had been imprisoned in his cellar, and do what? Talk? Since apparating to her disturbingly charming garden, he nearly disapparated away twice in panic. This was new and uncomfortable territory. He hadn't made a new friend since Eunice. Not that Luna was new, but her company was. The path to her front door was overrun with beautiful sprawling plants. Nasturtiums, violas, lavender, daisies, and creeping thyme tumbled over one another in bundles of fragrant bursts of color. Big fat bumblebees meandered pleasantly from blossom to blossom and clouds of butterflies erupted in front of him as he walked. A large wisteria draped over an archway in front of her door, dropping large purple blossoms on the porch that released their delicate smell as his shoes crunched pastel petals underfoot on the step. Her garden and house seemed to radiate life and he felt a little intimidated. It was all just so enchanting. Eyeing a particularly large, green praying mantis on the door, he forced himself to stand up straight and exude that trademark Malfoy confidence. He was an adult and he would act like it. He finally reached out for the knocker after talking himself up to it. What kind of a door knocker was this anyways? It looked like a hippo with wings. Written above the door frame in golden cursive was a sign that read, Dreamers and lost souls welcome here. Well, Draco thought as he wrapped the door, he certainly was one of those things. After a beat, the plum purple door swung inwards and Draco was startled to see Greg standing beyond the threshold, wearing a tool belt full of muggle contraptions and covered in grease stains. Hey, Draco, Greg said with a smile, as if this wasn't weird at all. Greg, Draco asked stupidly, what on earth are you doing here? Is, is there a meeting happening? Oh no, I'm just doing some work for Luna. This place is a bit temperamental. Come in, Luna's in the kitchen, this way. But what are you wearing? Draco was still confused as he followed Greg into the very eclectically decorated home. Nothing matched. It was an explosion of color, of mismatched furnishings, of houseplants in strange containers and inspirational quotes painted on the many colored walls. It was slightly overwhelming at first, as was the garden. But as he moved through the house behind Greg, he thought it was very suited to Luna and what she did. Oh, it's a muggle tool belt, you know. I can't fix everything with magic all the time because the meetings are mixed muggle and wizard, and there's usually a bunch of muggles wandering around. Mixed meetings? How does that work? Draco asked, genuinely intrigued. Well, when someone wants to talk about something magic or something wizard-related, we just use metaphors. Works really well once you get the hang of it. Muggles just think we're really poetic. Draco snorted at the thought of Greg being poetic as they walked into the kitchen a great open space with a large center island surrounded by stools. The walls were peach with yellow cupboards and blue countertops. The appliances were all teal enamel and there were tumbling, hanging plants everywhere. It was like being in an odd sort of greenhouse with the large windows streaming in sunlight. Draco's here, Greg said before scuttling out of the kitchen, blushing when Luna thanked him. Draco, it's lovely to see you, she said 
turning her large eyes on him and moving to wrap him in a big hug. Thank you for inviting me, Luna, he said, stiffly but smiling all the same. Oh, I know you hated the idea of socializing, but I'm glad you came anyways. Draco blushed furiously. All of his pure blood etiquette was horrified. Luna, it's not, it's just, I, he stuttered awkwardly, hoping the ground would swallow him whole. Draco, please don't worry, I'm not offended. You do what you have to do for your emotional stability, and if that means turning down invitations to tea, then that's what you do. She didn't seem to need to blink as much as normal people. That's why I kept extending invitations, so that one day when you were ready, you would still feel welcome and not like you missed your chance. She smiled knowingly at him. Oh, was all Draco managed. I assume your therapist had something to do with you finally coming? Draco blushed again and looked down at his feet, his hands restless at his side. Please don't feel embarrassed, Draco. She smiled more broadly and squeezed his shoulder. He normally didn't like being touched, but he didn't seem to mind so much with Luna. She smelled like chocolate and sandalwood, like nasturtiums after a thunderstorm. It was oddly specific and almost overwhelming, startling but not offensive. Draco found it comforting. Take a seat. How about some tea? That would be great, he croaked out, thankful for something routine to swim towards. Luna worked on gathering the bits and bobs for tea in silence as Draco sat stiffly, trying not to fidget. As Luna sat the tea tray down in front of Draco, he looked up into her kind face and felt suddenly curious. Luna, how did you know I was seeing a therapist? Oh, Greg told me, she said simply. Did he? Yes, he said it was very inspiring to him to hear that you were seeing someone for your emotional turmoil. Greg said you'd be open to talking about it. Godric, why must she be so blunt, he thought. I mean, emotional turmoil might be a bit traumatic, Draco tried, but Luna raised her hand in reproach. We lived through a war, Draco. Horrific things happened at the manor. Emotional turmoil is a grave understatement. He didn't know how she could speak about these things so lightly and calmly. He spent most of his adult life ignoring what happened at the manor, and here she was, setting it out on the table with the tea and biscuits. I guess, he said lamely. You know, I wanted us to be friends in our last year at Hogwarts terribly, Luna said serenely, but it seemed you couldn't stand to be around me. She smiled at him, genially, as if what she had said wouldn't make Draco feel supremely awkward. He stared at her with wide eyes, not knowing what to say, his mind reeling with regret about his life choices and the decisions he had made to come for tea. It's okay. I know I reminded you too much of what happened there at the time. I hope now, though, that we can be friends and that you're unpacking those feelings with your therapist. She was spreading an assortment of cakes and sweets on the tray beside the floral-patterned cups and tarnished silver spoons. Yeah, Draco said dumbly. It was true, he was starting to unpack those things with Beatrice, but if a friendship with Luna meant this kind of raw emotional honesty, then he wasn't sure he was ready for it. That's enough of that for now, she said, fixing Draco his tea and handing it over to him, her big, blue, unblinking eyes surveying him calmly. Tell me more about unicorn blood. Your letters were informative, but lacked depth. Draco sighed in relief, grateful. Work he could talk about. Okay, James. I feel like I'm in trouble. Why are you in trouble? I don't know. What did you do? What have you done? 
Um, you wrote about Luna being a wonderful human being. Mm. Um, and I think we shouldn't talk too much about her mm. I, I don't yet think so either, yeah. because she becomes a huge part of the story yeah. and more interesting as we go on. Mm. Um, but we could, we tried to keep some of the like whimsical mystery things about her. Yeah. How she just knows things and yeah, sort of like laughs in the face of reality. Yeah, definitely. Um, and like chooses to be whimsical anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's something that I always wanted to explore. Like she was kept as a prisoner in his house for like mm-hmm. a long time. And I feel like that, and, and I think she would have recognized that Draco wasn't responsible for that. Well, so we've hinted that Draco was at the mercy mm-hmm. of so many of these older Death Eaters and yeah. experienced so much trauma. Mm. Um, and I think if all of us know Luna as Luna, mm-hmm. that she would have known that. Yeah. And um, extended kindness and humanity towards him, like yeah. much like Neville sort yeah. of did. Yeah, exactly. Because I feel like that's just Luna's whole vibe, right? Extend humanity and kindness to everyone. Yeah. Mm. And like being unflinching about it. Mm. I love her character. Yeah, me too. Yeah, she's a beautiful person. Mm. <laughs> okay, what about... Tell me more about Draco sitting naked. or oh, sitting without a shirt on. Mm. Why did you write that? Uh, <laughs> makes me so uncomfortable. It took me... I mean, that's such a short part, and I think I had to stop the recording like multiple times reading it because I kept just stuttering over myself. Oh, yeah, not to mention writing it. Yeah, writing it, too. Like, it was, I mean, it really is, like, what, two paragraphs. And mm-hmm. I remember I would, like, write a sentence, get up, and, like, walk around the house. Mm-hmm. Sit down, write a sentence, get up, go walk to the other side of the property. <laughs> like, and I just, like, did that. It took me, like, a whole day to write those two paragraphs. Um, and I think it's, like, starting to deal with that concept of survivors, like, reclaiming their own, like, sense of self, I guess. Like, just being comfortable with your own body, even after, like, horrible things have happened to it, and, like, existing in a body comfortably. Sort of like the concept of flesh memories. Yeah. You know, it's, like, obviously that's a a thing from Harry Potter, like, the snitch has flesh memories, but, like, human beings have flesh memories. Mm. If, yeah, especially if, you know, a a piece of yourself that you didn't sort of recognize as a piece of yourself or think Mm. about as a piece of yourself, all of a sudden has something profound happened to it, Mm. you're going to associate that part of you with that. Yeah. Which can be hugely impactful. Yeah, definitely. And if all of your experiences without a shirt on are inherently negative and traumatic, how can you sit in your living room comfortably without a shirt on? Yeah. Mm. And, like, how does that impact your day-to-day life? Yeah. Mm. It's kind of a... It's a very short part of this chapter, but I think it is very telling and important. and Especially for like what he goes on to unpack later in the story as well. Yeah, and especially if you're listening and thinking, oh, I can sit hours without a shirt on, mm. I don't care. Mm. Imagine what, some, what this discomfort someone has to feel in order mm. to not be able to do that. Yeah. It has to be huge and profound. Yeah, definitely. And very impactful. Mm. And, like, when you're working through that stuff, you know, it's it's not going to be resolved or fixed or suddenly, like, better after, like, one 
exercise. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, he's not going to do that for 15 minutes and be like, cool, got no more issues about taking my shirt off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, 15 minutes. Mm. That's not very long, but mm-hmm. it's also it's a lot for him, I think, in his character that you wrote. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Okay, Greg. Greg and his tool belt. Yeah, Greg and his tool belt. <laughs> <laughs> Why did we write I love that? Because I mean, we wanted—I can't remember what the impetus for us was to like mix Muggle and magical. Um, I think that's just like Luna in her. I think it really fit Luna's character, and that like she would want to extend that space to everybody who needed it, regardless. Well, that and I sort of imagined after the war, there would be so many people engaging in this idea of escapism and of Mm. course the lines between the muggle and the wizarding world are not so hard that they couldn't escape by a muggle methods like you see harriet harriet doing and why not be able to look at both i mean the mechanism is the same Mm. are wizards and muggles really all that different yeah exactly in their attempt to recover and exist Mm. yeah post-trauma or just as people yeah yeah, so why yeah. did we add Greg in the tool belt? Because I feel like Luna would have... I think once Greg started going to meetings, he would have like really gotten into that. Like, Yeah, imagine how cool it is yeah. all of a sudden. And Okay, so I kind of headcanon that he wasn't great shakes at magic. Yeah. So, you know, household fixing charms, yeah. they're probably super complicated and annoying for yeah. someone like Greg. Then you find out you can just duct tape shit together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get some electrical tape. Yeah. A screwdriver. Yeah, like a hammer. Yeah. This is amazing. Oh my god. <laughs> and like how cool that he could sort of, you know, imagine he's friends with another muggle who's yeah. like, yeah, you can just fix a sink like this. Yeah. And then Greg's Greg, mind is just yeah. blown. <laughs> and like makes friends yeah. that way. And, you know, like really actually gets to hang out with muggles. Yeah. And, and actually like finds a way to feel very useful. Yeah. Like, as he's, like, exploring his own recovery. Mm-hmm. And a yeah. recovery that's very distant from the magical world. Yeah. And, like, safe in that way. Mm. But he's still connecting with people. And yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I always, Like, I don't know why. I think I just said, like, give him a tool belt. Yeah, like, give him you know, a tool belt. He'll be, like, Mr. Fix-It. Yeah. I'll be so <laughs> pleased. Yeah. <laughs> we just want Craig to be happy. Yeah, we really <laughs> just want him to be happy. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Oh, and this is our first, though, look at Luna's house, which oh, becomes yeah. a big scene yeah, yeah, setting. Yeah, yeah, later on. Yeah, and the dreamers and lost souls welcome here. Mm. It's like a... Yeah. That's like her whole personality. No, completely, yeah. completely. And the big wisteria over mm. the door and the garden. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it, too. I want to live in Luna's garden. <laughs> we should go back to reading so that we can get back to... Yeah, okay, let's go. <laughs> okay. See you next time. <laughs>